Welcome back to Strange State, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Liz Higgins. I hope everyone is doing really well and staying active and trying to stay as busy as possible while protecting yourself and those around you. Uh, it is time to jump right back in for part two of the Shelley No Tech case. So this part is going to focus on her other crimes and also going to focus on her kids a little bit. It is important to say that I got a lot of this information from the book, If You Tell, A True Story of Murder, Family Secrets, and the Unbreakable Bond of Sisterhood, written by Greg Olson, but it was, I don't want to say dictated, because that it's not like direct quotes from them a lot of the time, but he interviewed a lot of the Notech family. He interviewed Laura. Shelley's stepmother, but her mother figure for her entire life. Um, he interviewed the daughters, the youngest, Tori, the middle daughter, Sammy, and the oldest daughter, Nikki. So he really knows a lot about this case. I believe he also interviewed Dave Notek, which is Michelle or Shelley's husband. So just that's where I got a ton of my information from, and that's why almost feels like I have like some insider information as opposed to stuff that's like in articles because there are not a ton of articles about this but the book was fascinating I love seeing that side of a crime people that are really really close to it and might not even know what they're doing as a crime at the moment so really important I just wanted to throw that out there and we are going to go ahead and jump right back into this case so if you remember last week, we ended with the murder of Kathy Loreno from the abuse that she suffered at Shelly's hands, but this death just sent Shelly into way more of a spiral. She went into a paranoid frenzy of covering her tracks. She convinced the kids that Kathy had left and went to live on the road with a truck driver boyfriend named Rocky. And she drilled this idea into the kids' heads, even though they all knew that that's not what happened. She would randomly quiz them, like just all sitting there eating dinner or watching TV, and she would just look at them and go, do you know what happened to Kathy? Where's Kathy? Is she with her boyfriend? What's her boyfriend's name? Just like drilling it into these children's heads. She started to get really suspicious of her nephew, slash adopted son Shane. As he grew up, he became less and less controlled by her manipulation. He was going through his teenage years. He was becoming rebellious, and unfortunately for her, that totally negated anything that she wanted him to do. She would whisper in her husband's ear constantly that she was positive Shane had been molesting their youngest daughter, Tori, which we know is entirely impossible if you read the book Nikki was best friends with Shane and she said there was absolutely no way he could have done that he was nowhere near Tori to be able to do that and this was just another one of Shelley's manipulations at this accusation though Dave beat Shane within an inch of his life after this altercation Shane proclaims to Nikki he is going to run away as he had many times before but this time he was going to stay gone and it is notable that Kathy and Shane tried to run away multiple times, but Shelly 
would fear that they were going to go, obviously, to, like, the authorities or something like that. And so she would hunt them down. She would get in her car. She would make the girls come with her, and they would search for hours. There was even one time when they were in a different city, and Shane had ran off, and she still found him. And I just think that's insane. Like, it wasn't even somewhere where she knew all the people or knew her surroundings really well. And and he still was found by her, even though it was, like, days later after he had ran away. Just like that, Shane was gone. The girls, Nikki, Sammy, and Tori, were devastated. He had left without saying goodbye. Shelly seemed oddly happy and at ease and even showed off a birdhouse that she said Shane had left as a gift for her, along with a note that ended with, I love you, Mom. While it is normal for him to call her Mom, Nikki would later say that he would have never written that he loved her. So she was instantly skeptical of this goodbye note, which they never got to see. After a few weeks, the girls were told he went to Alaska to live his dream as a fisherman, which was also something made up by Shelley because it was noted that the whole rest of the family knew that he wanted to finish college and really show his parents, who had not done much with their lives, that he was something to be proud of and he wanted to go to school. Nikki, who thought of Shane as a brother and a best friend, missed him and wanted to be able to talk to him. But every time he would mysteriously call, she would be at work or at school, and only Shelly would be the one home to get the phone call. She would regale them with stories that he would tell her about life on the fishing boat, and Nikki was all very suspicious of this because he didn't like Shelly at all. She had a pull over him. She manipulated him, yes, but he did not actually like her, and so Nikki knew that he would not go out of his way to conversate with her and keep calling her and only want to speak to her. That didn't make any sense. But with Kathy dead and Shane gone, all of Shelley's abusive energy would again be focused on the oldest daughter, Nikki. One instance that she vividly remembers, Nikki was out in the yard working in only her underwear in the cold at her mother's request, when Shelly came out wielding a knife and screaming. Nikki didn't know what she had done to make her mother this mad, and so she took off running. Shelly caught up with her daughter and slashed the knife in her direction, cutting her on the thigh deep enough to obviously need stitches. But Nikki just held it together and ran and hid in the woods behind the house. She ended up staying there overnight. When she came back in the home the next morning, her mother acted like nothing had ever happened, ignoring the crudely healing wound on her leg that had stopped bleeding. It was around this time that Shelley started to keep the two oldest sisters away from each other. They weren't allowed to talk while doing work around the house or speak to each other with their mother present. Shelley even screamed at them once while they were washing dishes and not saying any words together that they weren't allowed to talk. Shelly was very obviously trying to drive a wedge between the two sisters to make it easier to handle them as they were getting older and a little bit more rebellious as well. When that didn't work, in 1993, she sent Nikki to live with Dave's sister. At first, for only 10 days, but Nikki liked it so much that she stayed, eventually making her way to her grandmother Laura's home. 
With Nikki out of the picture, all of Shelley's negative energy turned to Sammy. And in 1997, she had had enough, so she concocted a plan to run away. She told her mother she was going to pick up a friend whose car had broken down, and then she ran. She stayed with friends until she could get out of town. The only place she had to turn to was also her grandmother, Laura, who welcomed her in with open arms. Shelley would call and come up with a new excuse as to why her daughter should treat her better, first saying she had been diagnosed with lupus and then ovarian cysts, but her daughters held firm and they stayed away. Laura would support Shelley and Nikki in whatever they needed. She would tell them about Shelley's odd childhood behavior, and it made them feel really validated that they weren't crazy and weren't bad daughters, and that this isn't just what every parent did, and that was such an important role for Laura to play for them. It was around this time in 2001 that Shelley found a new victim. Ron Woodworth would come to live with the Notex after a bad breakup with his partner Gary Nielsen and a subsequent spiral into depression that cost him his home and his job. Ron's stay started just like Kathy's, helping Shelley around the house and helping take care of the youngest daughter, Tori. Soon, the verbal abuse started. Shelley would reprimand him for the slightest transgression, feeding him only toast and only water. Ron, a former military man in his own right, started to wither away and bend to Shelley's will. She would use slurs, um, homophobic slurs at him. That was her favorite thing and telling him that he was dirty and didn't belong in the same area that she like breathed air, basically, and really tore down all of his walls and all of his defenses. The youngest daughter, Tori, remembered a time when she found the bottle of urine that Ron had filled in the night, so he did not have to ask Shelley for permission to use the bathroom, just like everyone in the household had to do. It's also notable that at this point, Shelley had driven Dave, her husband, so far away because he was working like four hours away, I believe, at this point, because it was a job that made them more money, even though she was spending money kind of willy-nilly and so he didn't stay at home he was always at work until the weekend when he could get back to her and Nikki the oldest daughter actually went to visit him at one point and found out that while he was at his job he was living in tents kind of near his job in like a little makeshift home and she was just kind of outraged by this because she knew that he should be making more money to be able to support himself and what he needed. And he was making really good money and he had contacts in the neighborhood and stuff like that. And Shelly was just wringing him dry. So I just want to put that out there as well. His family and friends would remember how Shelly was involved in every part of his life driving a wedge between Ron and the rest of the world. Meanwhile, the oldest daughter, Nikki, was thriving and spending time with her grandmother, Laura, in Oregon. It was in 2001, as that bond grew, that the secret that Nikki had kept buried for years finally bubbled to the surface. And at this time, we are going to take a quick break so we can get a couple of sponsors in here, and we'll be right back. So... 
How are you listening to this podcast? Are you listening on Apple Music? Are you listening on Spotify? I bet you're listening on Stitcher. That's how I listen to podcasts. I love Stitcher. It is home to over 260,000 podcasts from classics like My Favorite Murder and Crime Junkies and Cults and Haunted Places. It's got such a wide range. It also has smart recommendations and playlists so you can find your favorite shows and organize all your current podcasts you're listening to. And it'll even learn your patterns and start picking podcasts for you. And it hasn't steered me in the wrong direction yet. Stitcher is a free app for iPhone and Android. So you can get it on both. And it's awesome. Now, if you're listening on Stitcher, do you have Stitcher Premium? Stitcher Premium has bonus episodes, exclusive shows, and ad-free listening. I have Stitcher Premium. Do you like true crime? Listen to exclusive archives from Criminology or bonus episodes from True Crime Garage or ad-free episodes of My Favorite Murder if you're into that. You can sign up today for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 for an entire year. If you use our promo code Strange State, you will get an entire month for free to try it out. So go to stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today and use that promo code. Promo codes are unfortunately not valid on the app at the moment, but they are working to fix that, so it must be used on the website. Again, strange state. Free. Free month. Go do it. Now. Okay, welcome back. So, where we left off, Nikki was letting that secret from her family bubble to the surface. Wahaha. <laughs> uh, she confided in her grandmother, Laura, after watching some true crime, shout out to the true crime community, that she really had something she needed to get off her t- chest. And she told Laura about the death of Kathy Loreno. Laura instantly remembered Shelley's entire life and the suspicion that she had always felt towards her. And she knew in her gut that Nikki wasn't lying and that they needed to go to the police immediately. For Laura, there had been so many red flags, but like her ex-husband, Shelly's father, had kind of pushed it all under the rug and gave Shelly kind of an excuse for everything that she was doing. And so that made Laura feel like she was kind of imagining it and maybe this kid was just having a bunch of issues and you know her mother died when she was 13 she came to and lived with this family that she doesn't know and she had always made Laura's life kind of a living hell but she had been over to the house and she knew that Shelley's actions were weird but I don't know I think we all always want to see the goodness in people and like believe that they couldn't do something like this so you want to kind of push down any suspicion you do have of you know so and so could kill someone take someone's life and there are you know plenty of other serial killers out there that had families and children that they took care of every day and still you know took another person's life and so it's very 
hard to recognize those red flags, but something that, you know, if you see something, say something. But obviously we don't want to blame Laura or Nikki for any of this. Neither one of them really knew what was going on in Shelly's head. So Laura and Nikki went to the police. They called the Sheriff's Department, the Pacific County Sheriff's Department in the area where Shelly lives and told them what was going on and was told to write out a statement and fax it to us so that we can see if there's anything interesting or anything we need to investigate. So the next part that I'm going to read is an excerpt from the statement that Nikki wrote to the police and it is from the book If You Tell by Greg Olson. So I just wanted to let you know that before I read it. Long time ago when I think I was about 16 when mom did it. Mom was always mad at Kathy. She treated Kathy really mean. She would hit Kathy with steel-toed logging boots of dad's. She would give Kathy all kinds of drugs, and Kathy was always acting weird. This one night, us kids heard all kinds of things, so we peeked in Kathy's room and saw Dad doing something to Kathy. Because a lot of white foaming stuff was coming out of Kathy's mouth. I think Mom poisoned her, or caused Kathy so much brain damage from hitting her in the head. But Kathy wasn't moving. I think she was dead. We had to run back away from the room because we're not allowed to be downstairs and we didn't want mom to know what we saw. She would beat us or do bad things to us if she knew what we saw. They sent that to the police and the police tried to contact Sammy to back up any of this story and Sammy refused to talk to them. Um, Sammy was struggling with a lot of her own things in her life and a lot of feelings about her mother and she also knew that their youngest sister was there Tori still and Tori had told her that mom wasn't doing anything bad to her or anyone near them and that mom had really chilled out since her and Sammy left which we find out is a total lie but I think Tori was also feeling very isolated and that just speaks to the power of Shelly she knew how to manipulate people and make them feel at their most vulnerable all the time. So she was able to really manipulate the girls into feeling that they were all alone, even though they were all going through the same thing. As far as the women knew, nothing came of this confession to the police. The police went out to the property, but Shelley waved them off with more of her manipulation. All the while, she was making Ron work outside only in his underwear because she had taken all of his clothes. She would make him use a weed whacker and dirty water with no shoes and no pants as the debris would cut him. When she started to care for James McClintlock or Mac at his home, she would send Ron over to help. Soon, she was written into James's will that she would get everything in the event that he died and after his dog, Sissy, died. Ron still wasn't exempt from the bizarre forms of punishment that Shelley would dish out, making him slap himself standing naked on the porch, and even resorted to making him drink his own urine when she found one of his bottles he would use whenever she wouldn't allow him to use the bathroom. One day, while Ron was caring for Mac in his home, he fell and died. Therefore, leaving all of his belongings to Sissy, the dog, 
until such a time as Sissy passed away and then Shelley would get everything. She would use the fact that Ron was there as a whole new punishment for him, screaming at him that he was a murderer and how could she possibly let a murderer live in her home. She said it so much that Ron started to believe her and even apologize for the act. She started to force him to get up on their porch railing and jump off into gravel with no shoes. Again and again, she would make him jump, and then once his feet were bloody and bruised, Shelley would even tend the wounds in her own twisted way. She would do something that was probably worse than the punishment. She would boil water and mix in bleach so strong it would sting their eyes. Then she would make Ron soak his feet in the toxic, boiling mixture. As soon as Shelley started to notice Ron's rapid decline, she started to backpedal, just like she had with Kathy, feeding him herself soups and whiskey, just as she had done for Kathy, and then suddenly Toy remembers Ron was gone. Shelley claimed that she had taken Ron and dropped him off at Max so that he could look after the home, but Tori felt that that was a lie. She believed in her heart that Ron was dead. Dave knew Ron was dead after he had received a calm phone call from Shelley, where she explained she tried to do CPR, but he was just too weak. Dave had his doubts, but couldn't bring himself to admit that Shelley had done anything wrong. After the fact, it was found that Dave was really complicit, obviously, in all the crimes, but he could not bring himself to admit that Shelley was a bad person. They even questioned him about, like, the bleach and some of the punishment she inflicted on Ron, and he didn't know that bleach would make a human skin fall off. That was something that Tori remembered really vividly was that the last like week or two of his death, Ron smelled like rotting flesh and bleach. And she remembers her mom almost like boiling his skin off at one point. And his skin on his feet, this is very graphic, would come off in sheets because of the amount of bleach she was using. And when Dave heard about this from the police, he kind of brushed it all away and said that couldn't be possible. He didn't understand that that would be like a caustic chemical because Shelly used it on everybody all the time. She had used it on Kathy. She would used it on her own children. It couldn't possibly be that bad for you. And I think that just really speaks to the way Dave was kind of caught up in Shelly's spider web so to speak. She had really ensnared him and he was drinking the Kool-Aid. Turns out that the police weren't ignoring the statements from the people closest to Shelley and they performed a search on the property as well as questioned Dave and Shelley themselves. They had statements from Sammy at this point. They had statements from Nikki and Laura and from the entire neighborhood because they had really canvassed the area and the neighborhood had told them about weird screams they would hear in the night and things of that nature. The remains of Ron Woodworth were found on the property and Dave, when questioned, explained quote unquote everything to the police. And I say explained because as I said before, he 
had really justified everything that Shelley was doing in his head. And so he was saying that he was going to explain why everything she had done was not wrong. He also included how he shot Shane Watson, their nephew slash surrogate son, with a 22 caliber rifle and cremated him just as he did with Kathy's body, spreading his ashes in the ocean. In August of 2003, both were arrested. He was afraid that Shane would grow up and get drunk at a bar and and tell this story and get Shelly into trouble. So he did understand that trouble could come from this, but he did not understand that it was wrong, which is something that doesn't really make sense to me and doesn't sit well with me, but I'm not the court system, so I can't dole out his justice. Michelle Notek, at the age of 49, was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, and Dave Notek was charged with first-degree murder of Shane Watson and with rendering criminal assistance and unlawful disposal of human remains in Ron's death. Both Noteks pleaded guilty to lesser charges in 2004, Michelle entered an Alford plea in which she doesn't admit responsibility, but does acknowledge that the case against her is rock solid. She pleaded, quote unquote, guilty to one count of second degree murder and one count of manslaughter. She was sentenced to 22 years in prison. Dave was sentenced to 15 years in prison for the death of Shane and the disposal of Ron and Kathy. He would have been set up to get out in 2019, although in my research I could not find any update as to whether he made parole or his whereabouts. Shelley has since tried to appeal to get lesser charges, but it was denied. So, small win there. I hope you guys enjoyed this little two-parter. I've certainly enjoyed bringing it to you. Thank you guys so much for joining me this week. Remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts Go follow my Instagram page at Strange State Pod and check out the website at strangestatepodcast.wordpress.com. There is also a Patreon page, Strange State Podcast. It is on our website as well. The links are for all of those options as well as sources for each one of our cases and additional videos and photos and things of that nature. So I, again, really appreciate you guys taking a little bit of time out of your day and out of the possible boredom from our current situation we are in, but we're going to get through this together. It seems like a long time, but it's going to be so great for everyone else and great for ourselves if we can just hunker down and really stay true to this whole self-isolation thing. It's going to help so many people and keep so many people safe. So thank you guys so much for doing that as well. I appreciate you and shout out to all of our essential workers out there. I complain about not being able to work, but I'm very grateful that my company is paying me to be at home for 30 days and really taking care of the people that works for us because I know not everybody's company is doing so. So let's make sure we're supporting those companies really hard whenever we do come back and we get this country going again. Those companies that supported their 
employees, no matter what, are going to be the ones that we really need to pump our money back into and make sure we support them really hard. My husband works at a grocery store, so he is working every day. And let's make sure we keep our grocery store people safe, our nurses, our doctors safe, that we're following the social distancing rule six feet. I know a lot of grocery stores around town have put out tape in the lines where you can stand and be six feet away from the other person. But let's also remember not to get close to our cashiers and get close to the people that are having to work because they are essentially putting their lives in more risk by being out there so that we can have food and water and freaking toilet paper because everybody went nuts for the toilet paper. So make sure we are keeping everybody safe, including yourselves and your families. And I will see you guys next week. Thank you.